And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Good morning. Happy Friday. How is everybody doing here? We are at episode 102, I think. Um, thank you for joining me. Darren Starr here once again. Um, I appreciate your ears um, and in some cases your uh, your mouths your voice um, as always thank you so this is very much a I mean I hesitate to say it's interactive but it is a podcast that really relies on you it really does so um, you know very uh, a lot of listener driven content here so once again the call in number 865-518-2974 I say call in number it's like I'm doing a radio show you know I wish I was I would actually love to do a, a live radio call in talk show about bodybuilding that is really ultimately what I would love for this to be. So I'm trying to make it that as best I can. So that number, 865-518-2974, um, is my message line. You can record a message there. I will drop it into the podcast. We can hear you um, because I think it's nice to hear from other people. You know, what's on your mind? You know, I'm not just making this stuff up. <laughs> So people do actually listen. So we have a couple of things that I want to do today. Um, I'm going to um, dig in um, pretty quickly here and uh, <clears throat> go into a few topics here. Uh, we, we've got a couple extra messages, and then we're going to do the uh, the drawing for the latest raffle at the end of the podcast. So I am all set to um, pretty much set with minimal fuss and muss to uh, record a little bit of video um, while I do this live. So I'm trying to get my tripod all set up here. i got a little ways to go. So we've got some names. Um, I've got everybody's name here. I'll, I'll shuffle the papers here. It's a series of post-it notes. Everybody has a name on it, so I'll draw that um, in a little bit here, and there will be video of that on Instagram and Facebook so that you can all see. Once again, I'm not cheating the system, so I'm going to pull my own name out. I win something free. Um, I ask questions. That counts, right? I should get, an, I should get a name. I should get a, a note with my name on it. I ain't going to do that. That is, uh, that is lame. So, um, And uh, just uh, for everybody else, um, and I'll, I'll say this later as well, um, all everything that um, you would be eligible to win through this raffle is up on the website, fivestarphysique.com. Click on shop. All the apparel is up there. So the raffle gets you something free from that. So, um, and we've done this once before. We're doing it today. We will do it again in the future as well. So a few things that I want to talk about here. Personal update. We're going to make it really short and sweet here. Um, it, boy, I swear, this is like January for a, a personal trainer who is good at what they do and in demand. It's like... April for an accountant. It's like, oh my God, just nobody talked to me. I'm in the zone. I can't be bothered. I've got to be focused on what I'm doing here. It has been a wild and crazy week. I have spent um, at least an hour every day this week just responding to inquiries from people who are interested in coaching. <laughs> That's on top of of a client check-ins and I mean, good Lord, I've stayed on top of the podcast, which is great. I'm giving myself a little pat on the back for that. I've had all kinds of website updates that I've wanted to do all kinds of program writing that I've wanted to do for, for workouts, et cetera, that has just had to sit on the back shelf for this week. And we'll hopefully, you know, um, get a chance to do some of that over the weekend, maybe next week, dive into it as things calm down a little bit. But, uh, I don't know at this point, it doesn't necessarily look like there's an end in sight. So <laughs> It's, it's been wild. Um, just to be clear, I am not complaining. It is great for business, so I appreciate that, um, especially because one of the things that's been going on here lately is we've been working on this landscaping project. Um, we had to have a uh, 
retaining wall along the house that was built out of railroad ties that were rotting out that had to be torn out and replaced. We did it with a stone retaining wall. And then there was a large drainage project that was um, affected both the upper and lower tier of the house in the backyard, um, digging, you know, 90 foot trenches, installing some drainage pipes. So it made a giant mess of everything. And it was, uh, it was a, it was a fun check to write yesterday too, but uh, it's looking better. And, um, this is part of a larger project that we're um, trying to do out back, and the next phase of it will be a, a large ground-level seating area with a built-in fire pit. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see that happen. So we'll see when. I don't know, but um, we'll have some pictures. I'll post some pictures up on uh, on Instagram and Facebook in my story. So um, it's been a good week in the gym, a good week on the diet, feeling back on it for the most part, feeling normal once again, which is great. Um, you know, coming out of that cut at the uh, end of, uh, you know, the second half of uh, November, um, man, it threw me for a little bit of a loop and I won't say that December was a lost month, but man, I was definitely kind of like wandering through the desert, wondering where the hell I was and what was going on and why I just wanted to eat like a jackass every single day, just uncontrollably. So, um, but we're out of that right now and things are good. It's been a really good week of lifts. Um, so I'm very happy with that. So a few questions here. Um, let's dig in on some messages first, and then um, I've got a few other topics that came through as well. So priority to the uh, the people who call in uh, because I love y'all. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's deal with them. Uh, let's pull up some messages here and see what we got. So who is first? I think we have a familiar voice up first. Hey Darren, this is Angela from the great state of Washington, and I am calling in with a question and then some nominations for my Mount Rushmore of television. So my question is, is there a difference between a cheat meal and a refeed? I hear those terms used interchangeably, or I think they're being used interchangeably, but I don't know if there's actually a difference between the two. So I was wondering about that. And then my Mount Rushmore of television would be Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I agree with both of those. I would add Ozark with Jason Bateman and Laura Linney, of which there are two seasons, and it's excellent. And then my fourth would be The Patriot, um, which is a great show on, I think it's on Amazon Prime. So those would be my four for the Mount Rushmore of television. Thanks a lot. Love the podcast. Bye. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. Always good to hear from you. Um, so uh, Mount Rushmore first. So yeah, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, easy. Ozark, um, I cannot argue with that. Um, that is... I don't know if it's like top four all time, but man, that is a really good show. There's only two seasons of it, like you said, but um, what a great cast. Um, really, really interesting storylines, really cool character development, really kind of creepy vibe to the whole thing. Um, you know, some really, really interesting plotting. Um, there was one thing, um, and I, I, I will not give away spoilers here, but there was a character in season two um, that you didn't really like who met their demise in a way that I found completely and totally unbelievable. Um, like, absolutely against everything that we knew about their character up until the point of their death. Um, the, the manner in which they died was just so completely... It was a betrayal to their character. And... Uh, uh, if you know who I'm talking about, great. I would love to chat this out with somebody who can maybe give me a rationalization on how it was written that way and what the justifications were. Because um, I, th I think it was uh, it was a total betrayal of their character who was portrayed as being somebody who was always kind of in the know and then was caught totally unaware in the most 
unbelievable way possible. Like this, we know this character to not be this stupid. So how could they meet their demise this way? I just found a, a, it, it almost ruined season two for me. Uh, but it was just so good outside of that one moment. It, it's hard to complain about it. I, it's kind of a nitpick still. I think that was a, a really bad character moment. But overall, yeah, if you're looking for something to um, plow through two seasons of, couldn't recommend that enough. As far as The Patriot, never heard of it before. I'm looking at it right now. Um, the cast is interesting. I don't know who Michael Dorman is. Um, his work, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've seen anything that he's been in before. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but it has Deborah Winger. And I tell you anything with Kurt Wood Smith in it, um, I'm kind of on board for that. So yeah, I might have to give it a, give it a shot. So, um, we started, what was it? The Kaminsky method last night, which was kind of a, uh, kind of a, uh, a, a dramedy, um, with, uh, Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. Uh, we started that last night. We just got one episode in, but I really like it. It's, uh, it's, it's got a, a really cool vibe to it. So, um, because we're caught up on everything else. Um, Star Trek Discovery comes back next Thursday, which is great because I'm, I've been waiting for season two for some time. Um, so your question, difference between a cheap meal and a refeed. Um, you know, they, they accomplish much of the same thing. And oftentimes I will plug in one or the other, depending not on what I think somebody needs physiologically, but just, you know, what I think they're going to handle better. Like a lot of people, um, they have this overwhelming sense of guilt that's associated with a cheap meal. And that makes me say like, you know, I think we could work on kind of pushing through that, but at the same time, if it's a more controlled refeed, where I'm, some people just respond better to that mentally, has nothing to do physically. I mean, what we're looking to do is get an influx of calories, and whether they come in throughout the day or whether it's just a single spike, um, doesn't really matter so much to me, as long as it's a programmed refeed and not just like, oh, it's a cheat day, have whatever you want. I've, I've never found that to be anything that's productive. So that's not how I would advocate a refeed. I would say, you know, usually the refeeds that I program, it's either you know if it's a flex thing, then we're going to say, hey, your carbs bump from this to this for the day. Just spread them out throughout the day, you know, rather than saying, hey, have a meal here that just has 200 grams of carbs extra than what you would normally have. Uh, I mean, that's just a recipe to feel gross. But if you work in an extra 200 grams of carbs throughout an entire day, that gives you like an extra, you know, 35 grams of carbs per meal. It's going to feel like a lot, sure, but, you know, it's a little bit more sustainable um, and that uh, you, you get that... Um, uh, glycogen fullness that comes from that, you still get the same effect that you would if you worked in a good cheat meal. Now, if you're not somebody who has a big appetite um, and like eating a large, a single large meal is difficult, I mean, a cheat meal needs to be a caloric surplus if it's going to do its trick, um, you know, especially when you're at a deficit. You know, we need to kind of, you know, get you out of that depletion mode, fill things out a little bit. And you can't do that if you go out and you have, you know, instead of a 350-calorie meal that you would normally have for dinner, if you have a 550-calorie meal, that ain't going to move the needle. Um, so if you're somebody that has a difficult time putting down food, first of all, I'm sorry because your life just must be terrible. Um, but also that's not really going to do what we need to for a, uh, for a cheat meal. Whereas if you can work in an extra, you know, 150 to 200 calories per meal, but you can do that throughout the day. Okay. That's one way in which I would say physiologically a refeed makes more sense. So it's not quite such a, you know, I mean, a cheat meal basically is like a, you know, a sanctioned binge basically. I mean, you know, we need to get that calorie surplus in there. It doesn't need to be 5,000 calories in one sitting, but it's gotta be enough that it, it signifies to your body, Hey, we're getting some extra in here. And you know, if it's 150 calories a what you would normally have. That's just not sufficient. That's not going to cut it. So um, hope that helps. Hope that helps. Um, let's go. Uh, thank you once again, Angela. Let's see what is next. This is our, our second and final um, call-in message this week. So let's see what we got. Hey there, Darren. My name is Alexander. I live in northern Minnesota. Um, hoping you could 
give a little insight on intra-workout nutrition. So uh, EAAs slash BCAs and carbohydrates, what's your opinion on them? And uh, do you incorporate them in your training or in your clients' plans at all? Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, Alexander. Appreciate it. Um, it's always cool to hear from uh, somebody new. I'm like, hey, this is a new voice that I did not know was listening to this podcast before. Cool. I am still uh, in the uh, the <laughs> the toddler stage of podcasting where stuff like that just tickles me. So um, northern Minnesota. So I will not complain about getting up this morning and going out in 22-degree weather to give Taz his, uh, his daily walk, even though I totally froze my ass off doing it. Um, God, I mean, I'm in Tennessee. We are technically in the south. 22 degrees. Homie, don't play that. No, no. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'd tolerate that if I was up a little further no- north, like you know, maybe Ohio, something like that. I'd expect that. Northern Minnesota, yeah, I expect ten below. Okay, but here, twenty-two degrees is too damn cold. No, no. No. Okay. Anyway, um, intra workout nutrition, well timed actually. So um, there's, uh, I'll, I will, I will credit um, my coach, um, Laney Hart, um, for bringing this to my attention. So you know, I've, I've been a part of this um, debate for a while. Um, this, you know, BCAA versus EAA versus neither, nothing. Um, and for, for some time, and I, I go back and forth between whether or not I, I use or am a fan of intra-workout carbs. I will typically say that, yeah, I am. It's very situational. It depends on who you are and what you're doing. Um, like if you're on a deficit, for example, well, I think intra-workout carbs are always helpful. They're always productive. I don't necessarily think they are always a good choice. If you are on a deficit and your carbs are somewhat restricted, yeah, it's still beneficial to have them intra-workout. But if you're taking that away from actual food that you could be eating, um, I think for most people, um, you know, if you get, let's say, 120 grams of carbs, and now 35 of those are eaten up with uh, carbolin in your intra-workout shake, leaving you with, I forget what number I just said, but let's say like 85 or whatever to eat. I mean, you know, I would rather eat those carbs than drink them. Um, and long-term, that's going to create a sustainability issue for me, somebody like me. Um, so I don't think on a deficit necessarily it's a good idea. So when you go towards it more like a growth phase, yeah, absolutely, because... Um, you know, at that point, I wouldn't necessarily take those away from food that you were eating. I would say, hey, for our carb increase this week, you know, we're due for an extra, you know, 30 grams. Let's plug those in as intra-workout carbs. So, um, you know, I mean, there, there comes a point, and I've done this for a couple clients just this week, actually, where that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the carbohydrate that you use, I'm a big fan of uh, a high molecular weight carb like um, carbolin, Vitargo. Um, you could go to True Nutrition and get something a little less expensive, like their highly branched cyclic dextrin, um, which works really well. High molecular weight carbs. What that means is faster gastric emptying. So it leaves your stomach faster than a, a typical process, the digestion process, or than a typical carbohydrate. Your digestion process is much faster. So those nutrients can find their way into your bloodstream faster. So um, what I, the, the analogy that I make is that, you know, when we take an intra workout carbs, we are um, to some extent, actively trying to replenish glycogen stores that you are actively trying to deplete at the same time. So it creates a little bit of a cyclical effect there. So um, those are the types of carbs I would recommend. EAA versus BCAA, you know, I was, I, I've been kind of wondering the same thing. And uh, Laney pointed me towards this um, video that John Meadows did where he referenced a study um, talking about how much more effective um, essential amino acids are versus branched chain amino acids. So BCAAs are the more common product. Those are three amino 
amino acids. Um, they are the branch chains. That's it. Versus an EAA product, which contains those plus an additional six. There are nine essential amino acids. Um, the EAAs being those, um, I think there are, what, 22 total amino acids. There's essential and non-essential. The essential ones are ones that your body does not produce on its own in sufficient quantities, and you have to supplement with those. So um, any complete protein source includes EAAs, like your whey protein, um, any kind of meat product, soy product, uh, any kind of dairy product, they include all EAAs. Um, the, the ratios for them are going to vary quite a bit. So supplementing with EAAs, the basic argument that um, John Meadows was making in his uh, in the video that he did where he was just referencing a study is the, the protein synthesis is far more effective and far more complete when you supplement with EAAs versus BCAAs. There was even a note in that study indicating that there was some hint that BCAAs may actually promote catabolism. And I, I'm not sure that I buy into that or that there was sufficient evidence for that. But I, I do buy into the, uh, the argument that EAAs are more effective. It makes sense. I have been against them for a while because... <laughs> Talk about the king of dumb reasons here. Um, the one product that I that I had tried before was from True Nutrition, and it did not mix in water for shit. Um, like you could throw that thing in. I, I actually got to the point where I had to put it in a blender to get it to mix with water, and it still was clumping up and just was absolute crap. Um, so there are a couple of new products out. Um, John Meadows has one. There's one from Dimatize that's called All Nine. Um, so I'm going to get both of those, check them out, and uh, see what I think, and I might give you a review on those upcoming here. So that's definitely how I would approach that. So um, great questions. Thank you for that, Alexander. Much appreciated. So um, a couple of other topics to discuss here. Um, there is um, what, what I've noticed is I get a lot of feedback from people on um, old episodes that we've done um, and uh, saying, hey, when you were talking about this and this episode, I'm like, wait, what? I talked about that at some point. I mean, it's, you know, after you've done a hundred, you know, uh, uh, specifically I'm referencing something that was in the thirties or forties. I don't remember, um, which feels like the 1930s or 1940s at this point, it's far enough removed. Um, but there was a, uh, a discussion on drugs and bodybuilding where I kind of just, you know, started opening the discussion into, you know, um, the, the ins and outs and kind of a 30,000 foot view of anabolics um, and, and their, their role in bodybuilding. So, um, and one of the things I said is, you know, you've, you've got to find this stuff. And, and, you know, I did not go back and listen to this. So I'm re relying on memory and a partial retelling from a listener. Um, so saying, you know, you've got to find this stuff. You've got to come up with a source for this. Um, you know, if you go to a, uh, a doctor and you get a prescription for testosterone for hormone replacement therapy, that's all well and good. That is not a cycle. That is hormone replacement therapy. So if you were looking to put together a pre-contest or a growth phase anabolic cycle, it's probably going to be more than just testosterone, which means you're probably going to be getting this stuff from the black market or maybe gray market if you're really lucky. Um, so the, um, the, the point I made was that you've got to have a source. And, um, and I said, you know, there, there's domestic sources and then there's international sources. And more common, um, international sources, overseas sources are much more common. And usually these are going to be in the Far East, like Hong Kong, other places in Asia where this stuff is plentiful, it's inexpensive. And then the only issue really becomes one of, uh, of shipping. So uh, if you can find a domestic source, great. Um, but keep in mind there is, um, you know, one agency that, uh, that hunts down those people. I mean, that's your, that's the DEA. So they, they, uh, they're, they're looking for those people. And so, um, when you, when you 
go to an overseas source, you have a multitude of organizations involved that um, have to be coordinated in order to catch, stop, shut down a supplier, catch a shipment, etc. So um, there's a lot more rigmarole and jumping through hoops. But I think typically also it's, it poses less of immediate, an immediate risk to a potential buyer. So, And I made the case like one thing that can happen there is, uh, and the, the greatest risk that most people face is a package seizure through customs. Um, so all of those, you know, anything coming into the U.S. is, is subject to customs seizure. Um, and uh, if they inspect something and they find something in there, they will seize that package. And usually um, that is where it ends. Like they don't pursue it further because then there has to be, you know, there have to be multiple organizations involved at that point because, you know, customs has seized the package. Well, they're not going to come knocking on your door and hunting you down or anything like that. So they'd have to refer it to somebody else. There's all kinds of agencies that have to get involved. So usually those things are just, you know, sent into some kind of, you know, I imagined a seized package warehouse somewhere. Uh, who knows? Get destroyed eventually. I don't know. Um, so I think the, the point that I made was, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a low risk. You really, I mean, you know, this, this rarely happens. And, um, a listener, um, who, you know, I won't get into details on who it is, but they are somebody who, um, for, uh, in, in their professional capacity was able to say, this, this does happen actually. <laughs> so, um, you know, from like a, a legal standpoint, um, that there are people who do get, um, you know, charges brought up against them and have to defend themselves um, through the legal process in this. So um, that was something that uh, was brought to my attention a few weeks ago. I kept forgetting to, to bring it up here for a clarification, but it's worth noting that, yes, um, ordering stuff from an overseas supplier, I would say still, you know, that your, your risk of seizure, I would say it's packages do get seized with pretty... Um, pretty good regularity, um, which is why most overseas suppliers, they have a reship policy um, where if your package gets seized, you know, we have to go through X and Y and Z and then we'll reship for free or something like that. You know, they, they don't want to lose your business just because customs got in the way. Um, so, uh, you know, package seizure isn't super uncommon, but I would say, and I, I will stand by this, that, you know, having, uh, f finding yourself in any kind of specific legal trouble from a seized package is very uncommon, but, um, not impossible. That is the point there. So if anybody is getting a false sense of security based on what I said, 60 or 70 episodes ago, um, check yourself. Because, because, you know, whenever you engage in something like this, there is always risk associated with it. And I think that is, uh, that is the, the take-home point that's worth reminding yourself of. So just wanted to clarify that. Um, I wanted to have a, a little discussion here also about um, strategies for flexible dieting, macronutrients. This is not coming off of a specific question, but I, get, um, I, I talk on this multiple times every week, sometimes in check-ins with clients, um, sometimes uh, Instagram messages, um, conversations I see that I'm not related to on forums online, etc. So it's worth talking about. So dieties, di dieties, geez Louise, hold on, I need to clearly take a drink from my little uh, uh, zero calorie monster here. Uh, all right, there we go. No more verbal slip-ups the rest of the episode. Um, dietary strategies for flexible dieting, for macro-based dieting. So there are uh, a few ways that you could go about 
macro-based dieting. And, you know, it's called flexible dieting. And the, the great misnomer there and the thing that I think subconsciously leads people down a bad path is they hear the term flexible dieting and inherently, like kind of by default without thinking about it, they get this thought in their head that they need to eat something different every day. And they, they need to be flexible and they need to be changing stuff out regularly. Um, whether or not they, that's an active decision, I don't know. I think just the name, if they, if they refer to it and they come across it as the concept of flexible dieting, if that's how it's introduced to them, I think that word plants itself in their brain and they start thinking that the flexibility is a necessary part of it. Um, and I think it's to their detriment. There are some people certainly that can work like that. Um, but the thing is, it is not a, an opportunity or an avenue or a pathway to not plan ahead and prep. You still need to plan ahead. You still need to prep. If you, uh, what I call wing it, um, where you wake up for the day without a plan and you're like, I know what my targets are and I'm just going to you know, eat food and see what happens and see where it adds up and it'll all come out roses at the end of the day. There are some people that can do that. Most of us cannot, at least not regularly and with consistency. I can do that every now and then. Like if I, if I tried to do that, I would say, you know, one day out of five, I can probably do that if I'm really paying attention. Um, but I would also find that what I end up doing is probably start to eat the same stuff all the time <laughs> because frankly, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time every day in my fitness pal. And so what I always recommend people do is use the structure the mechanics and the knowledge necessary to be a successful, flexible dieter and build yourself a meal plan that you can hit repeatedly uh, on all days and then make adjustments to that when you need to, which is not going to be every day. So you have kind of a default plan set up for yourself. And then, oh, circumstances changed. Now I'm going out for dinner this night. You know, you know, maybe a day in advance, maybe you find out earlier that morning, maybe you spring it on yourself completely at the last minute. Well, you've got um, a, a skill set in your brain that will help you adapt to that. So you, you put together the plan in the first place. You know what a carbohydrate is, what a protein is, what a fat is, what the sources are that you've plugged into your meal plan that um, fill up each of those columns. So you know, okay, well, I'm going out for dinner. I'm going out here. Ooh, I really like the blah that they have there. I really like the, you know, the... Um, the, the burger and fries that they have there. Okay, well, that's pretty much all my carbs for the day. Uh, and so I'm going to pull back on my carbs at meals one, two, and three, assuming you get them in meals one, two, and three. And actually that burger is a lot fattier than what I'd typically have in that meal slot. So I should probably pull back on my fats a little bit. And suddenly you find yourself having kind of a a skeleton of a, of a meal plan for, for the first part of the day because you're trying to make all this room for what fits in at night. But you can do it that way. Um, but not having a plan in place um, initially is a huge issue. Um, and if you find yourself logging your um, macronutrients like on a spreadsheet or something like that, um, like a, a tracker that uh, I provide for my clients, and if they're following a flexible dieting structure, I want to see what their daily macros are. And if the numbers are different every day, I'm just going to ask the question like, hey, are you actually doing like wildly different stuff every day? Or are these fluctuations coming from like one meal that's that's swapping in and out? Because you know, if, if all of your meals are different every day, chances are we're not seeing the level of precision that I want. And usually that's the case, um, especially if we're in a pre-contest phase. If you if your protein is off by, you know, 10 grams over one day, 15 grams under the next day, that's too big of a swing. You know, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Um, so I, I think you need to hold yourself, 
accountable to a higher level of precision. And for most people, what that means is following a plan that's the same every day and then just changing it when they get sick of something or want to introduce something new. So um, as far as a strategy for macros, I would strongly, strongly recommend something like that. Um, those who wing it on a regular basis usually are setting themselves up to fail. So I don't think that is a a, a very positive uh, strategy for most people. Like I said, there are some people that can do that and do it well. And to you, uh, kudos. I also know that that takes a lot of time in my fitness pal, logging things, double checking, changing things, etc. Pain in the butt. What I'd rather do is spend, you know, after I get my macro updates from my coach on Saturday, spend zero to eight minutes um, plugging in any necessary changes to my usual meal plan um, in order to hit those numbers and then looking at it and saying, do I want to eat this for a week? And then it's either yeah, I'm good with that. Or no, I'm kind of sick of this. Let me come up with an alternative there. And then I look at the protein source, maybe plug in a different protein source and then see if I can marry a different carbon fat source with that if the meal has those um, and take it from there. So everything's built around a protein source. Um, all the meals are. So um, that's where I start. And if somebody uh, has a meal plan that I've written and they're like, I'm kind of sick of this, what do you recommend? I'm like, throw out an idea for a protein source for me. Like let's, let's build a meal around a protein source at that time. You tell me what it is because the convenience of that, you know, how appealing it is. Like a lot of people aren't going to want to have six ounces of steak first thing in the morning if that's the first meal that they're looking at. So, uh, and some people like, I love eggs and egg whites as a protein source for the first meal of the day. Not everybody has time to cook up something like that. So that's where a lot of issues with meal plans that are written by somebody else comes from is not understanding the convenience of, you know, the, the necessary convenience in your life. So, um, I always, uh, as with everything I do as a coach, it's always a discussion. So if somebody wants to adjust a meal on a meal plan that I've written, um, I'm always going to say, give me a protein source to build something around. And by the way, you know, it might be good to learn about macros because you can do this for yourself. I'm happy to do it for you. But if you can do it for yourself, suddenly you're going to find yourself a lot less restricted in the kind of foods because um, I was talking with somebody actually on the phone today and he was asking a little bit about how I write meal plans. And I say, I always use commodity foods, which means you know, the, the basics and the staples when I write meal plans. So like oats, cream of rice, uh, rice, potatoes, chicken, eggs, you know, not a lot of bread products or crackers or, oh, this thing from this company is really good. There's nothing wrong with those foods. It's just about, you know, universal, universal availability. You know, I could write in, oh, buy brand X gluten-free bread, two slices here. And then there's the conversation like, I went to four grocery stores. I can't find that brand. I've had those conversations so many times. I'm so sick of it. So when I, when I write meal plans, the only thing that I use are commodity foods that are always available everywhere and are always the same. The one exception being cream of rice. There's only one brand of that you can ever find. The only question is, uh, can somebody find it in their grocery store? But I feel strongly enough about that um, as a food that I'm always going to start the discussion there. And if you can find it, great. If not, then we'll start to look at alternatives. And hey, they always have it on Amazon too. It's way overpriced on Amazon, but still, if I didn't have it in grocery stores, I would probably buy it there. So, um, so that's flexible dieting strategies. Um, now, um, this came up also. Um, I think this was from, oh, racking my brain here. I think this is from Devin, a, a client of mine. And he said, hey, you know what? You should do a, a regular recurring um, topic on supplements, like, you know, how, what, why, et cetera, something like creatine. So let's start with creatine, all about creatine. So we're not going to dig in. I, I can promise you, and you, if you've listened to this for 
any number of these 102 episodes, you know that you are not about to get an organic chemistry lesson from me. Um, I'm not an organic chemist. I'm not going to pretend to be smarter than I am. I understand the basic mechanisms for how this works, which can inform um, why you might want to use it, why you might not to. Um, we'll talk about uh, how it works and if it's effective. So um, the what, what I always tell people about creatine is it is one of the very few supplements that has universal, incontrovertible proof that it actually does what it's intended to do, which is you know help increase size and strength. So um, the thing is, um, it is a it is a small increase. You know, it is not necessarily the silver bullet. But if you're looking to gain size and strength at all costs, creatine is something that you know it. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to avoid it. There might be some reasons why you would want to, and we'll get into those. Um, so the the primary mechanism through which creatine works, and I'm talking about creatine monohydrate here, um, is through water retention. Um, so it, it promotes intracellular water retention, um, which means that when you take creatine, you will put on a little bit of water weight. And this could be anywhere from like one to as many as six pounds I've seen in some people. Um, the... Uh, old school approach. And I think most packages have been updated to skip this now, but there always used to be the loading phase. And I still hear people um, like clients of mine saying, Hey, I started creatine this week and I'm on day four of my loading phase. I'm like, stop time out. No, no, you're, you're on, you're on the final day of your loading phase right now, whatever it is, do not do a loading phase under any, any circumstances. So the, the loading phase exists because you know, think about how this was marketed in bodybuilding magazines when it first came out. You know, all these skinny guys who are looking to get jacked, they know they've got to put on weight. Well, here's a supplement that one of the very real effects of it is it immediately puts on weight. And if you take a whole bunch of it early on, you put on even more weight. So, hey, you know, as a supplement manufacturer, I'm going to tell people to load this stuff up. Like take, you know, four scoops a day for the first four days. You're going to pile on that water weight. And you're like, oh, my God, this stuff is gold. I'm buying this stuff for the rest of my life. You're putting on water weight. I mean, it's it's total, total BS marketing is all it is. So a loading phase should be skipped at all costs. You know, you're just going to put on a bunch of water weight. And uh, I mean, if, if your ego is fed with that, great. But just know you're putting on water weight. You didn't put on six pounds of muscle in four days. So you got to be realistic with yourself. Um, but it does promote intracellular water retention, which means the muscle fibers get a little bit more saturated with fluid, which means you get a quality pump. It improves your um, mind-muscle connection and the ability for the muscles to activate. Um, and the, the main thing that you get from that is you do realize a little bit of a strength bump from that. So you're, you're actually actual output gets a small increase. And when your output gets a small increase, that means that your ability to initiate growth can also realize a small increase. Now, the problem there is, you know, it's not automatic. You know, you've still got to put in the work. A lot of people say, I don't want to take steroids because it's like cheating. I mean, if anything, you know, you take that and you've actually got to work harder now. I mean, it increases the ceiling um, for, for your potential growth and your potential gains. You still got to put in the work, and realistically, you've got to work harder and have everything, you know, even even more dialed in. Um, I mean, you could make an, an an argument the other way as well, but I think it works both ways, realistically. So, um, for creatine, I mean, yeah, the the product itself is, isn't going to do it. I mean, you've got to put in the work, um, and 
I, I think where I say it, it's even harder is because you've got to recalibrate your intensity scale. I know I've talked about that before. So the work that you've put in before will not be sufficient to um, achieve new growth and new gains. So, and breaking through into new territory and pushing harder than you have before is really hard. So you've got to force that. So when you're taking creatine or really any other kind of supplement, be it you know over the counter or um, or otherwise. Um, you know, you've, you've got to mentally be able to push through the barriers that you have been physically bumping up against before, because they are, you know, it's, it's kind of like a wall that you've been jamming up against. Well, now that wall's got a structural weakness to it. And if you jam hard enough, you can push through it. Um, whether it's creatine, whether it's testosterone or a full on anabolic cycle, the same thing is true. Um, the more powerful the substance that you're taking, um, the weaker that wall gets and the easier it is to push through it. Um, but with something like creatine, not super powerful. It's effective. It's not super powerful. It's definitely something that's, you know, um, going to elicit percentage point increases and not order of magnitude increases. Um, so, uh, you, you've got to, you've got to really be mentally in the zone to be able to push through that. Um, there are other versions of the product like, uh, Cree alkaline for one that accomplish the same thing, but without the water retention as well. Those are going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, and, uh, you know, typically, I mean, creatine monohydrate works and you can buy it by the 55 gallon drum for super cheap. So, um, me, uh, I would go that route. You know, I, I don't care if I put on a couple pounds of water weight. I'm not going to get super excited about that. I'm not going to get super depressed about that. Now, where creatine becomes a problem is if you are hypersensitive about your weight. Um, and I find this to be more of an issue. I'm not trying to stereotype here or anything like that, but it's more of an issue with women um, where, you know, start taking creatine and they see the scale spike up. And even though, um, th like, there have been cases where I have been asked, like, hey, can I take creatine? I'm like, yeah, it's going to spike your weight up a pound or two, but, you know, it, it's fine. It's productive. It works. It does stuff. Uh, okay, great. And they start taking it and then there's, their weight goes up a pound or two. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't hang with this. I'm like, we knew this was going to happen. So... If you realistically, if you can perform a self-assessment and place yourself in that category of people who freak out about little little fluctuations in the scale, probably not for you. Probably probably not a good thing. Um, you know, it's going to create more anxiety than benefit. Um, and then conversely, if you're in a pre-contest cut, you want to pull that crap out a couple three weeks before the show as well, because you know, <laughs> uh, peak week and that that period leading up to it is all about minimizing water retention. So if you're taking a sup supplement that actively promotes a, a good, healthy degree of water retention, yeah, you got to pull that out. So I, I usually say about two, three weeks just to make sure it's totally clear of your system um, and any residual water that you're holding on to is gone as well. So that is creatine in a nutshell. Now, um, a question from Aaron from Instagram, and I'm going to pull it up here real quick. And okay. Um, I got to tell you, I just pulled up my phone here. There is somebody in Connecticut that is just absolutely up my ass with phone calls. Um, I don't know who it is, but the next time I see that, I, I got to answer this and just say, what do you want and why don't you ever leave a message? I know it's just spam, but still, it's just so annoying. Everybody else has seen this massive uptick in spam-related phone calls, right? I mean, it's not just me. I've read articles about it, but... God, it's getting really, really bad. Um, just so obnoxious. Um, okay, let me see here. Um, where are we at here? I'm going to messages and Aaron. I just want to read Aaron's um, message as it was because uh, I don't want to. I don't want um, to misrepresent. So, um, okay. 
Can you talk about your journey to becoming an online coach? Something I would rather do after achieving a CPT certification, but I'm clueless on where to begin. How long did it take to build a base uh, following and consistency? So good question. Now, I know I have talked about this before, but, you know, as I mentioned before in talking about the, you know, um, anabolics custom seizure thing, you know, a lot of people go back and they listen to old episodes. A lot of people don't. Like, maybe you started listening two weeks ago. I... I (laughs) The last thing I want to do is say, oh, yeah, go back and listen to that episode from, you know, 10 months ago because Lord knows I wouldn't want to go back and listen to that. It's probably cringeworthy. Um, I'd like to think I've gotten a little bit better in the last 10 months. So rehashing a couple things here and there, uh, I, I'm, you know, we'll be doing more of that um, regarding macronutrients because I talked about a lot of that stuff early on and it's worth revisiting, I think. So um, great question. So um, my, my journey is, you know, I would say... Well, I don't know if it's typical or not. Um, everybody has their own story, and there's just so much individuality that that comes into it. So, I got into personal training on a uh, during a hiatus from engineering school. So, I was going to um, engineering school. I was ready to enter my senior year at Oregon State. I'd just come off of an internship that I actually bailed out of early because it was such a miserable experience. Um, so that was my my short experience living up in the Portland area um, back in Oregon. So. Um, and it was such a lousy experience. I mean, you know, the the work did not interest me. Uh, I, I love the classroom work of engineering. The practical application of it was really, really depressing and seeing what went on, what the corporate atmosphere of engineering firms were like. Um, this, this one in particular, they were having a lot of internal struggles at the time, so it was not a good glimpse, but at the same time, I've worked in enough companies to know that that is not uncommon either. <laughs> Just, you know, internal personnel struggles, et cetera. Um, so it was a lousy experience. I'm like, I need a break. I need to take a term off and just reassess and see what I want to do with this. And, you know, do I, do I finish this degree and then pursue a master's in engineering? Because then I can get closer to where I want to go faster, but God, I'm already in debt for student loans. Do I want to pile up another, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 on top of that? So, you know, I mean, OSU is not a super expensive school. So, um, it was a it was a big question. So I took some time and I'm like, well, you know what? I'm taking a term off school. Keep in mind, I'm like in my uh, I'm like 30 at this point. So I went back to school late after a long break. I had a, a relatively successful start to a career in the tech industry, um, and uh, you know, not like I was independently wealthy, but I was making a I was making a, a, a reasonable wage for a high school graduate. I was pretty happy with that. Um, but I also I'm like I, I have greater ambitions than this. So. Um, so I went back to school and, you know, the, the schoolwork, I found it really for the most part, pretty easy actually, which was nice going back when you're 30, you get a little bit different perspective. Um, but then I I just hit me like a a truck, this internship and the realization that, man, maybe this isn't what I'm, I should be doing. So I took a term off, got my personal training certification because you know, I like working out. So yeah, you know, I've, I've, you know, been, been thinking about getting ready for a show for some time. So let me get a certification. I can train some other people. So, um, I got my certification, um, and I started training at a studio in Eugene. Um, had a couple clients there and, you know, it was, it was kind of slow going, but I liked it. And then eventually I got a few more clients and, you know, had a, a client base where I was, I was making enough to, to make ends meet on my own. I was not living on my own. Um, but, uh, I was, I was making ends meet. It was okay. I was like, all right, cool. This is good. And then, um, my, girlfriend at the time got a job offer across the country, um, closer to her family 
away from mine. I'm like, hey, I've lived in Oregon my whole life. I'm ready to go see someplace new. So we moved to Asheville. And much like I did um, in Oregon, I took up with a studio there and really built up, built up a really good client base there. I was really active, really busy, making some decent money as a trainer um, and pretty happy with that. But I'm like, you know, I really want to want to work and, and uh, work with people and help with like pre-contest and, you know, really work with people that are, are more passionate about this rather than, you know, people that are showing up at the gym for a session because they've paid you and because you're there waiting for them. You know, I want people that show up because they want to be there. And, you know, I had some of those clients and they were great. And then I have the other people that they show up and they're like, oh, God, this is the worst part of my day. I'm like, fuck this. You know, I don't want to work with these people. <laughs> I want to work with people that are passionate about this, that want to do it, that want to kick some ass and want to take some names, might want to compete. Great. So um, I put together a website that was initially just to promote my local business. So I had a lot of blog posts that were centered around, you know, things in Asheville. I tried making connections with local businesses, failed miserably at that. Not my strong suit at all. So, um, I was, uh, I mean, I am terrible at that kind of stuff. So I know my, know my skills and I know my weaknesses and, and networking and connecting with people, not a strength of mine, not a strength at all. So, um, for me, it, it started to, I it started to realize like if I want to grow and if I actually want to do stuff and work with the type of, of clientele that I'm really interested in working with and, uh, I want to have more growth, um, going online is the way to do it, whether it's for contest prep or whether it's just for general training, um, and at this time, I'd, I'd worked with enough people. I'd had enough experience on my own doing competition prep. I felt very comfortable with it. Um, uh, being, you know, a, a few years, uh, a few years into it, I felt really, really comfortable with it. And so, um, you know, I, I made that a, a subset of uh, what I did um, on my website. And so, I put that up there as well. Um, and uh, had a couple of clients online, um, you know, a, a couple that, you know, were carryovers from uh, my Oregon client base. Actually, they continued to work with me online. Um, one of my uh, colleagues in Asheville, she was starting to train for a show, um, and I was training her, and then she moved cross-country and ended up competing in Washington State, and I worked with her online for the remainder of her prep, and that was... My, my first real experience doing remote contest prep and realizing, oh man, this is really different from doing it in person with somebody, which that was a nice wake-up call, actually. And so then I, I, it was all about refining my process, um, you know, continuing to learn more all the time. But really, you know, when it comes to working online, it's all about technology and logistics and finding ways to get over communication barriers. Um, that, that's the, the main, the main thrust of it. Um, how efficient can you be? Um, not only just to, to knock things out and not have it be like, okay, I've got to do so-and-so's check and this is going to take me an hour. Um, which is how I started for sure. Like I started out and initially, um, you know, one of my early clients, I was writing workouts for her and I was actually like recording videos in the studio, demonstrating how I wanted her to do exercises and sending those to her, like uploading them to, to YouTube uh, in a, uh, as, as a private video and then sending her links. I'm like, here's your 20 videos for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about massively inefficient. Like a week's update took like three hours. <laughs> it was awful. So to say I have refined my process a little bit since then, yeah, 
Yeah, big time. And that, that's what it comes down to because, you know, I mean, realistically, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. And if you um, are spending three hours on a client's update and you're able to work with 10 clients a week, you're going to have to charge them all, you know, what, 500 bucks a month, something like that. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's not really uh, not really feasible. So you've got to find the right um, sh- uh, the right balance of 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 time and fee in order to make you and your clients happy. So um my goal is to, you know, be be efficient and uh put enough uh effort, time, care and precision into uh an update each week with a client so that it looks like um and feels like um I spent a lot of time on it because there's a lot of thought that goes into it. A lot of it just has to do with, you know, your your processes and your logistics internally. So Having a background in technology is a massive help. If you're one of those people that you struggle with computers and you're like, okay, I can do this, but it's going to take me a little while. I'm going to have to research some stuff. Just understand it's doable, but it's going to be an uphill battle for you. Um, like, uh, uh, realistically, I can I can churn out emails like it's nobody's business. I've got keyboard shortcuts involved. I've got the monitor set up here where I can be looking at eight programs all at once without having to tab back and forth between things so I can keep you know really easy eyeballs on a lot of stuff all at the same time. Which is how I can I can work with a full roster of clients, put out a podcast um, twice a week, maintain you know usually this week being the exception, do my regular main uh, maintenance and improvements on the website, do additional workout programming, have some time to put together clothing designs, etc. Because it's a lot more than just working with clients as well. You've got to be able to promote and grow your business as well. Um, realistically, so a dirty secret here. Um, I, uh, one of my very first clients that found me that I did not know in person, um, she reached out and she's like, Hey, I've competed once before and, um, I coached myself. I'm just looking for some help this next time around. I've got this show picked out. It's in about 15 weeks. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do it. And, um, she was a great test case cause she was just, I mean, she was ready to work. And I told her what to do and she won her class in a very competitive show. Um, and, and that being one of my very first online clients did a couple things. It made me think like, Holy shit, I can do this remotely. (laughs) I don't, I don't need to, to be able to work with people online. Um, what I need to do is be able to bottle her work ethic and teach that to other people. Um, the nuts and bolts of how to do it, I know that. That's not a problem. It, it's teaching people all the stuff that they may not necessarily know. Like what she knew was how to lift, um, which was great. And so she actually grew throughout most of her prep, even though she was on a caloric deficit, um, just because she was she was ready to put in the work and she knew how to do it. Um, we just had to harness that, focus it a little bit. So it gave me the confidence like, okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can see what it takes to make this work. I know that I've got the, the knowledge to pull it off. And also then she won her show. It was a great uh, piece to, uh, to pivot some marketing around as well. So that's where things kind of took off from there. So um, uh, my, my dad often says it's better to be lucky than good. I think it's, it's best to be both. Um, I think being good will get you so far, but a little bit of luck will really give you a good boost out of the gate. And there's, you know, I think to some extent also hard work, you create your own luck, um, hard work through promoting yourself online, doing search engine optimization for your website so people can find you because, you know, I, I got lucky in that. Yeah. One of my first clients, my, my, my first exclusively online contest prep client that didn't know me, um, it came to me totally raw, um, what was, you know, ready to win. 
Um, I mean, she had that kind of mindset. So I was, I was lucky in that, but I also set myself up for a little bit of luck by doing good work on the website beforehand and making, so, making it so that, you know, people were able to find me, her and others. So if it wasn't her, it would have been somebody else eventually. So, um, Anyway, that's uh, that's that's my story and that's my advice. So leverage technology. That's the big thing. So, all right, um, let's do this. We've got a, a raffle to hit up here. So I'm going to um, take my phone here and I'm going to set it up on my little tripod. And I could probably actually just pause the recording at this point. But I, I just want to I want you to hear live what goes into this because, oh, it's it's so exciting, isn't it? I'm trying to manipulate my microphone here a little bit. OK, so uh, there we go. Point back at me. Hello world, here I am in my plain white tee. So, um, all right, so I am going to do this here and hopefully make the smallest amount of mess possible. So, all right, I have my bucket here and uh, my bucket is my 10 inch Tom from my drum set, Pearl Roadshow, um, because I'm tuning my drums today and so I had to pull um, the heads off anyway and this this Tom um, has the resonant head off the bottom haven't taken the batter head off the top so it makes a perfect little bucket here so um, alright so I'm gonna hit the record button now uh, on the camera so I'm gonna state for the social media audience that will be watching this later on what's going on so I'm gonna repeat a little bit of this here but you're gonna hear it live here and you'll see it live later on as well so uh, for, forgive me a little bit of repetition here, but here we go. Oops, I just took a picture. God, I'm like my dad with a cell phone. Sorry, dad, no offense. Video. Whoa, that's a little too close. Hey, everybody. So I am actively recording the podcast right now, but it's time for our raffle for the clothing. So I have my 10-inch uh, Tom, which will be my bucket because I'm uh, reheading my drum kit today. And then here are all of the notes for everybody. So those are going in the bucket right here. All right, cool. We're going to, you know, do this. Beat on the batter head a little bit. Stir things up. All right. And then we're going to hold it up nice and high. I can't see the bottom. And we're going to reach in here. What feels good? What feels good? <laughs> All right. And we are pulling out. We have a winner right here in my left hand. I'm putting down the drum. Oh, I am knocking stuff over all over the place. Exactly what I said I didn't want to do. The winner is Craig. That's not focusing. Craig, there we go. Who, um, Craig, you contacted through Instagram and left a message. So I will um, reach out to you. Congratulations. And uh, we'll see what you want. So um, thanks. All right. <laughs> Stop recording there. It's so hard when you've got to like sound good and try and look good at the same time for video. And <laughs> boy, I tell you what, I don't look good in most cases. So especially not when I'm trying to, you know, my, my posture is all about hunching over a microphone. I'm like, oh boy, look like a damn troll in that video probably, but it's going up online. So Craig, congratulations. You are the big winner. So, um, for everybody else, wah, wah, better luck next time, but there will be a next time. Um, and in the meantime, if you're like, screw this, I never win anything. I'm just going to go buy something. It's a uh, five star physique.com. Click on shop and the full lineup is right there. So, um, that's all I've got for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. We'll catch up with you next Monday. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Stay safe and uh, train. Well, you know, train hard. Yeah, yeah. Train hard. Um, eat well. Live life. Enjoy yourself. Have a great time. Talk to you on Monday.